0: There are a number of ancient historians that uh, those that are in scripture studies can turn to and and look uh, for external confirmation of some of the things that are recorded in scripture. There are a number of uh, other sources and uh, uh, archeology span that help uh, confirm too. But today what we have mentioned in this first few verses of this passage St. Luke, of all them, is the only one to record it. Of course, there wouldn't be a whole lot of archaeological evidence of blood that gets washed away. So, of all the historians, of all the writings, St. Luke is the only one to record this particular episode. And perhaps part of the reason is, Pilate was vicious, violent, and prone to doing such things. So which one do you record? So it's quite possible he would have, uh, he, this happened and just simply didn't get recorded because it's just a blip, like a family squabble in the family that's very dysfunctional that squabbles all the time. Which squabble do you recur, record? But the people are discontent and, and questioning about this and, and, and they bring it to Jesus' attention and, and when we read it in context... Uh, of the Jewish world, we might be even more horrified than just hearing about it. Pilate mingled their blood with their sacrifices. Where were sacrifices offered? In the Temple Mount. He killed them in the Temple. They were offering sacrifice. They had gone through a ritual cleansing. They had brought their sacrifice. They had taken it to the, the priest, apparently, and were slaughtered by Pilate. Well, not literally him, but by his guards. Why did this happen? It's the same thing many of us might be asking about some of the things we see happening in Ukraine. It might be some of the things that we hear about, like school shootings. When such things, such violence happen, we ask why. And Jesus says, well, it can happen to anyone. It's a call to conversion. It's a chance to take stock. Are we living the kind of life we need to live? And then he gives another example, and this one actually is confirmed. They did find remnants of a tower in Siloam. The pool of Siloam is on the south side of Jerusalem, the old city. It was one of the pools. It was the main pool of purification. So, as the people were going up to the Temple Mount, they would wash themselves in the Pool of Siloam. We hear that uh, in St. John's Gospel. We uh, would hear that next week uh, in Cycle A, as the blind man is sent to Siloam to wash his eyes. So, these eighteen that we hear about, we don't hear that uh, how many were killed, of course, by archaeology. But these eighteen that were killed. They were probably purifying themselves to go and offer sacrifice. They were good people, like the Galileans, perhaps. Why did they die? They're not more guilty than the rest of us. But it's repentance. It's repentance. The call to repentance. And so Jesus tells this parable of this this fig tree planted in an orchard. I find it, uh, I I love figs, there's nothing like a fresh fig, when it's it's ripe there's a few stores that that can get them in, They, they usually go bad very, very quickly. But even dried figs are really good. Can you imagine your desire for a fresh fig, nothing beats being picked right off the tree? I haven't had that experience yet. But we know from, uh, I know from other experiences, fresh is best, right off the tree or right out of the ground. I don't care how much dirt is on that carrot, but that carrot tastes good. And to go to the tree and see there's nothing here. And to go day after day, week after week, month after month for three years and not have one single fig, how disappointing that would be. Not the greatest disappointment, perhaps, but it is very disappointing all it is all that fig tree is is taking up nutrition from the ground, taking up nutrients, and not producing anything that is supposed to produce a fig tree is worthless if it 's not producing fruit figs it 's worthless for firewood it 's worthless it 's not a very beautiful tree. its leaves are kind of unique they 're t- shaped like fiddles, if you want to know but they're not very attractive. They're not very ornamental. They don't give whole, a whole lot of shade. They're not very tall. They're not very st- structurally sound. You can't build a, build a house out of fig. It's awful. And so the master says, well, let's just chop down the tree in the garden. Or no, let's cultivate it. Let's give it some more fertilizer. I found myself reflecting on this whole fertilizer thing, in the ancient world fertilizer still is for what many of our hog and and, uh, cattle farmers use. It's the manure. And I found myself reflecting on on that and putting it, of course, with this first part of this gospel passage. When the world seems to go topsy-turvy, when the ground underneath our feet seems to get tilled up and, and we don't know where we stand, perhaps it's God's way of getting our attention. It's God's way of encouraging us to bear fruit. And when things seem to fall on us, like I don't want to use the word because I'm afraid my mom would come down and wash my mouth out with ivory gist soap again. But when the world comes, everything comes crashing down on us and it seems like we have no way up, no way out. Perhaps it's God's way of giving our attention. Of saying, I want you to produce fruit. God does not cause evil. He didn't cause Pilate to get on this murderous bend to murder these Galileans in the Temple Mount. He didn't simply say, well, gee, I like that tower, but I don't like those 18 people. Let's cause the tower to fall. He doesn't cause evil, but he allows it. And sometimes we find ourselves asking, why did God allow this particular evil? And that's what the people are struggling with. Why would God allow evil? Because he knows some greater good is going to come. That as we hear, Jesus wants us to repent. And that repentance isn't always from a bad life to a good, but from a good life to better. We keep saying that because it's true. God wants us to move from a good life to to better. Again, these Galileans could have said, we're good people. Hey, look, we're offering our sacrifice. These 18 were, hey, look, we're good. We're we're purifying ourselves. We're making ourselves clean so that we can go and offer sacrifice. And we do this all the time. But God wants more than our sacrifice. God wants more from us. He wants fruit, not just figs. He wants bananas and apples and oranges, pineapple, papaya, mango. He wants everything we can offer and everything from every one of us. That fig tree was not the only tree in the orchard, but is picked out in Jesus' parable because it's the one that's not producing. So what are the fruits that the Lord desires? We hear about them in Paul. He lists them. Peace, love, joy, generosity, self-control, chastity. But they go even beyond St. Paul's list. They go into the very heart of what it means to be Catholic, what it means to be Christian, to live not only a good life, but live a life so on fire for the Lord that we inspire others. To live so on fire for the Lord that people are attracted to it. Maybe that's the reason the Church and the Wisdom, because I can't find any other connection, gives us this first reading to meditate on as we hear of the burning bush. It's the only time in the church year we hear the or church cycle we hear of the burning bush, if I remember. And how in that moment, as Moses stood on that holy ground, he saw that bush afire and knew there's something more. He knew that there was something more. And how he listened to God who spoke through that bush. He listened to God and went back to Egypt, to that place where he himself had escaped because he had committed a grave sin of murder. He went back there in order to bring a greater good, freedom for all the people of Israel. But he needed to experience that burning bush. He heard the voice of God calling him, telling him he was going to be with him. Did he produce fruit? Oh, yes. He led us, led our ancestors in faith out of Egypt, through the cloud, through the Red Sea. So too are we being led by Jesus Christ, who is the master gardener, who knows exactly what we need. So if we're not producing, or even if we are, he might turn our world upside down. And that's okay. It's a painful place to be, perhaps, but it's okay. And he might cover us, allow allow evil to come down on us, but that's okay. Because if we use the grace that he gives us, If we use the grace of the sacraments of baptism, most especially, confirmation, Eucharist, reconciliation, for those who are married, matrimony, for the deacons and I, holy orders. If we use those gifts, we will produce rich fruits, much, much better than the juiciest of figs.